listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This episode covers the life of Christ in the Gospel of Luke. You can enjoy more messages like this with the free Courage Matters app, available in your app store. If you'd like to request Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event, click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. It's imperative in your life that you come to a conclusion about who Jesus is. It's imperative that you come to the right conclusion about who Jesus is, because if you come to the wrong conclusion, it has monumental, even eternal consequences. Who is Jesus Christ? You must come to a decision about who he is. That right decision, coming down on the right side of who Jesus is, is going to have significant consequences in your life. Every single area of your life is going to be affected. The identity of Jesus Christ is not something to toy with, not something to play around with. Now, there are people who say that they're interested in finding out the identity of Jesus Christ, but they refuse to acknowledge the oldest, most reliable, authentic records of the life and times of Jesus Christ that are found in the Bible. Now, I don't know who you are or what you claim in terms of the validity of your quest, but I can tell you that that's absolute foolishness, absolutely ridiculous If you want anybody to believe that you're serious about following Jesus Christ and discovering who he is, if you are refusing to take into account the earliest, most reliable accounts of his life, of his teachings, of his words, this is why we turn to the word of God, the most accurate, the oldest, most reliable, authenticated record of the life of Jesus Christ. Those words are found in the Bible. Luke chapter 4 is where we are. Turn with me on our Father's Word. If you have a smartphone or a pad, a tablet, you can follow along in the God Factor app using the Bible tab. Nobody who is serious about following Jesus Christ, who claims to really be taken seriously as somebody who wants to explore the claims of Jesus Christ and who rejects the Bible, could be taken seriously. It's basic to your understanding of Jesus that you would go to the earliest, most reliable, authenticated accounts of his life, the accounts that were written closest to his existence. Now, we know there are spurious accounts of Jesus written. We know that there are other gospels purported to be about the life of Jesus. The reason why we don't use them, the reason why they're not considered scriptures, because they were not most reliable. They were not authenticated. Their accuracy was questioned from the beginning. That's why it didn't make it into the writings of scripture, the final writing of scripture. These that we look at, the Gospel of Luke that we look at, was taken from the earliest time as being a credible account of the life, the teachings of Jesus Christ, and the consequences for you and for me, for everybody. There are consequences to believing rightly about Jesus, just as there are consequences in believing wrongly about Jesus In our Father's word, Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, 
And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. What? How anticlimactic. And when the devil had finished every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. This is the almighty son of God, as we're going to see in a moment. Again, this is the, the one who was sent by the father for you and for me, for all people everywhere. And after 40 days of not eating food, after 40 days of being tempted in every possible way, it's not that Jesus is done with the devil once for all. The devil leaves him until an opportune time. Come on. What kind of victory is that? What we realize right out of the gate in this particular passage, this passage that many of us think we're familiar with, is that there is no end to temptation. The devil never stops harassing people who are committed to following the living and true God. The devil left Jesus until an opportune time. He's going to do the same thing in your life. He's watching, he's waiting, he's looking for the opportune time, the perfect moment to seize upon a weakness to capitalize when your guard is down, when you least expect it, to pounce upon you, to take an opportunity to drive home his objective in your life, his objective in my life, his objective in Jesus' life, to get him, to get you, to get me, to bow the knee to anybody, to anything other than the living and true God. The enemy's objective in your life and in mine has not changed in 2,000 years. He did it to Jesus. You better believe he's going to do it to you. The bad news is that our enemy, our arch enemy, the devil, will never stop pursuing you, never stop coming after you. There is no rest from the devil's attacks. But the good news is that from the word of God, we're gonna take some time today and our time next time together in the word of God, and we're going to learn a thing or two about how to handle a hot potato. Because Jesus knows how to handle a hot potato. Jesus knows how to destroy the destroyer. And if Jesus knows how to destroy the destroyer when it comes to the area of temptation, those who follow Jesus can learn a thing or two from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. 
And so Luke asks the question and he answers the question for his readers in his day and for us today. He asks the question, who is this man? Who is Jesus? What in the world does it mean that Jesus came into the world? It's a question that's relevant and pertinent for us today. Who is Jesus? Why should I care about who Jesus is? In this particular passage of scripture, there's been something that's happened right before chapter 4 begins. And yes, of course, it's chapter 3. We know that. But we've spent two times together, two entire sessions, just touching the tip of the iceberg over the genealogy, the ancestry of Jesus Christ. And just prior to that, it's the baptism of Jesus, chapter 3, verse 22. Luke chapter 3, verse 22. And you'll remember the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form, it says, like a dove. And the voice came from heaven. A voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. This happens at the baptism of Jesus. A voice from heaven giving us a clear picture, insight into the unique, one-of-a-kind identity of Jesus Christ. You, among all others being baptized, you, among all others who have walked the face of the earth, are my uniquely brought forth, one-of-a-kind son. And so it's only fitting that Luke, being the doctor that he was, it's only fitting that Luke, in his narrative that he gives us, would launch into the genealogy, the ancestry of Jesus to help us understand more about his identity. That's why the genealogy immediately follows us because the statement is made, you are my son. With you, I am well pleased. And so Luke, very carefully, very cautiously, very deliberately, wants us to understand rightly about the identity of Jesus Christ because there's consequences. What you believe about God is the single most important thing about you. I think that Luke understood that. We should understand it today. He wants us to come down on the right side of the fence in regard to understanding the identity of Jesus Christ. And so the question is, who is Jesus? Luke continues to unpack that million-dollar question. In chapter 4, verse 1, when he begins the picture, he takes up where he left off after the baptism. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. Wouldn't you be hungry after 40 days of not eating? Some of us are hungry after 40 minutes of not eating. And it's at that low point, at that vulnerable place where the devil seizes the opportunity to capitalize. But you know what? If you're not careful, you're going to do something that many people do. You're going to begin to think that what's happening in your life is what the devil's doing rather than what God is doing. Your life is not a reaction to the devil's plan, the devil's strategy. Your life is supposed to be about the plan and purpose of God, not the devil. Did you not catch this in verse 1? Jesus was led by who? Led by the Spirit 
into the wilderness. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. It's not what the devil is doing in Jesus' life. Jesus is not kowtowing to the devil. He's not reacting to the devil. Did you know that the Mormons believe that Jesus is the brother of Lucifer? That, to me, sounds like a different Jesus than what's preached in the Bible. That alone should let us say that's contrary to the teachings of Scripture. That's a Jesus other than what's presented in the Bible. No, Jesus is not the brother of Lucifer. No, it's not this titanic battle between Jesus and the devil as if they are polar opposites. That's not a biblical understanding of the identity of Jesus Christ. It's not that we are to be reacting to what the devil is doing. We are to be led by the Spirit of God as Jesus was led by the Spirit of God. Who is leading Jesus? First of all, he's full of the Holy Spirit. And you know what happens when you're full of the Holy Spirit? When you're full of something, an overflow happens. Overflow happens in your life. When you're full of anything, Jesus said out of the overflow of of the heart, the mouth speaks. How can you know what's in somebody's heart? Based on what's coming out of their mouth, the things that they're always talking about. It doesn't have to be just bad language, the things that they're continually preoccupied with that come out of their mouth. That's what's in somebody's heart. It's overflow. And here Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit. It's no coincidence that because Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit, he's being led by the Holy Spirit. Jesus is being led by the Holy Spirit. To be full of the Holy Spirit is to be led by the Spirit of God. Jesus is the ultimate Son of God, capital S. That's what Luke is presenting to us. Okay, he's baptized. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Son of sons, the uniquely brought forth Son of God. Let's continue along that vein. Let's see what that looks like. And here, in Luke chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit. He's full of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had descended upon him at his baptism in bodily form like a dove. And as a result of that, he is led by the Spirit. And there's something for us as a takeaway here at Romans chapter 8, verse 14. Romans chapter 8, verse 14 says this. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Keep that up there for a moment. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Luke is asking this question, who is Jesus? He's anticipating the question that the audience is going to have. Who is Jesus? And he's saying, I'll tell you who he is. He's the Son of God. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons, small s. But what about the one who God uniquely brought forth by a virgin birth? What about the one who was prophesied in countless scriptures of the Old Testament to be coming into the world? The uniquely brought forth, one of a kind, capital S, Son of God. What Luke is doing is he's showing us this is what it looks like to be a Son of God. This is how we know that Jesus is the Son of God. He's led by the Spirit. And you too, if you are a son or a daughter of God, it's not a sexist term. It's not an exclusive term that's being used here. Back in the day when this was written, the idea of being a son was one of affiliation, kinship, association. So of course today, we're not going to get hung up on that, are we? I said, are we? 
It's a term of endearment, affiliation. So sons, daughters, if you are truly a son or a daughter of God, you will be like Jesus. You will be full of the Holy Spirit. To be full of the Holy Spirit is to be led by the Holy Spirit. And when you are led by the Holy Spirit, everything in your life comes out peachy keen, smooth and silky, no hardship, no difficulty, no trauma at all. After all, God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We can quote scripture about it, can't we? We can quote scripture about that. Well, then you ask me, you answer me this question, then why when Jesus is full of the Spirit and why when Jesus is led by the Spirit does the Spirit of all places take him into the wilderness? The last thing I want to do when I am led by the Spirit of God is face the devil head on. I want to get as far away from the devil as possible, and so do you. However, the precedent is set by Jesus that because, because he is full of the Holy Spirit and because he's led by the Spirit, those two are interchangeable, the Spirit in the wisdom and providence of God deliberately, purposefully takes him into the wilderness for that head-to-head, face-to-face encounter with the arch enemy, the devil. Now, if that's true of Jesus, what about you and me? See, we think that God is an American. God buys into the American dream. That's what it's about. If I follow God, everything in my life will come out together. Yes, it will come out together, but in accordance with the glory and the purpose of God. Jesus being filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit, his purpose was to destroy the destroyer, to destroy the works of the destroyer. 1 John chapter 3, look with me. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. However, here it is. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Do you catch that? The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So what Luke is just showing us, here's Jesus rolling up his sleeves. Let's get down to business. I came here to destroy the destroyer, to destroy all the works of the devil. And that's why when you are led by the Spirit of God, when you are filled by the Spirit of God, you too will be a destroyer against the destroyer's works. The reason Jesus came into the world was to destroy the works of the devil. And if you are a son or a daughter of God, you too will be used by God in your workplace, in your marriage, as a parent, as a daughter or child of a a mother and a father, in your neighborhood. God will use you. He will fill you. And he will actually lead you into the wilderness. Not necessarily necessarily a place of comfort, not necessarily a place of convenience, not necessarily a place of fellowship. Jesus is alone in the wilderness, but not really alone. Filled with the Spirit, sent there by the Spirit in the power of the Spirit, we've got to stop thinking that if I follow Jesus My life will become easier. It may get harder. In fact, 
If you're not facing temptations in your life, if you're not fighting, don't lose me on this, temptations in your life could be a pretty good indication that you've cried uncle, given up. I have two boys, a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old. I love to tickle them, love to wrestle them. They love to be tickled to a certain point until they cry uncle. Then I know that it's enough. And we have this agreement between the three of us that when one of us cries uncle, immediately we must all stop. Some of us have begun to cry uncle when it comes to the temptations of the devil. We have thoughts that come through our minds, words that come out of our mouths, persons and people in our relationships that cause us frustration and difficulty and we've just given in. God has had us in a wilderness where he has given us also the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and he leads us to places to be salt and light and we have instead been salted ourselves. Some of us feel like we're assaulted. If you're led by the Spirit of God, one of the characteristics is that you'll go places you otherwise would not go. You'll say things you otherwise would not say. You will be a different person when you are full of and led by the Holy Spirit. How do we know that? Because all who are sons of God are led by the Spirit. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. One of the primary characteristics of whether or not you are really a child of God is whether or not your life is characterized by the leading of the Holy Spirit. One of the primary characteristics of a man, woman, boy or girl who is truly a child of the living and true God, who truly has had all their sins forgiven and has been brought into a saving relationship with God the Father. One of the primary characteristics of whether or not that's true is that that man, woman, boy, or girl is led by the Spirit of God. There's all kinds of debate today about the filling with the Holy Spirit. Should we have this manifestation? Should we have that manifestation? And some of it's on this side of the spectrum and some of it's on that side of the spectrum. But you know, when I read the Bible, when I read Jesus' testimony here, when I read Jesus' story here in Luke chapter 4, it seems very clear that one of the primary characteristics of being full of the Holy Spirit is to be led by the Holy Spirit. And when you're led by the Holy Spirit, when you're full of the Holy Spirit, you will be led to destroy the works of the devil. No matter what else we say about the filling with the Holy Spirit, if you, not, if you are not a destroyer against the one who is the destroyer, the devil, then you're not filled with the Holy Spirit and you're not being led by the Holy Spirit. Because we have precedent in Jesus being led by the Spirit, filled by the Holy Spirit, into the wilderness to take on the devil head on. And that's what God is going to do in the life of every son, every daughter who is truly his. You will be fighting temptation your whole life, and God will give you victory over those temptations when you do it, when you fight, when you battle in the power of the Holy Spirit. But you must not make the mistake of thinking that you're going to be removed from temptation. You must not make the mistake of thinking you're going to be removed from difficult situations and circumstances, that you're not going to be led into the wilderness. God may be leading you deliberately, directly, yes, deliberately and directly into an area, into a circumstance where there will be conflict because the works 
of the devil must be destroyed. Years ago, I was on my way to Jerusalem to do some study there. And I figured I would do what we Americans like to call vacation. I would take a vacation. Anybody who's listening by podcast, you know. You're laughing right now because only Americans call it vacation. If you've done any vacationing yourself, you know that you call it a holiday. I'm on holiday when you go overseas. You know what I'm talking about when I say that? Of course you do. So I was on holiday for our podcast audience For the rest of us in America, I was on vacation before I went to Jerusalem. And I decided I would go to England and I would do some sightseeing. A bunch of us were, I was there with a bunch of friends and we were doing some sightseeing. Well, we split up at this particular time and I was in a part of London where there's this area called Speaker Square. Maybe you've been there yourself. Speaker Square is this large courtyard where there are speakers, not loudspeakers that you plug in. I mean, people who are speaking on a variety of topics, mainly political and spiritual or religious topics. And you could have anywhere from a a handful of people to dozens of people, depending on what's happening in world events, what's happening in London and England at that particular time in the kingdom. And you have these people speaking. Some of them have sandwich signs on them. Some of them stand on top of soapboxes or other, uh, you know, places that they could stand, you know, uh, little platforms that they could stand on. And I was with my friend Suzanne, and we saw in the distance these people that were talking, and you have typically a couple of people around each one of these people who were speaking. But this one person caught my eye because they had about maybe 50 people gathered around, and from time to time they would laugh. The whole crowd would laugh. Well, being a curious person just like you, I said, hey, let's go over and see what's going on over there. This guy seems to be making the people get quite a bit of laughter here. So we walked over, and it was a radical Muslim speaking. And I say radical because he was putting down the Bible, and he was putting down my Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, and he was putting down Christians. And unfortunately, sometimes he would say a word or two. He would say a word or two like that that I had to agree with. He would say a word or two that I would have to agree with. He apparently was watching some of the same television that I was watching. He was talking about Christian television because he was commenting about the hair and the makeup. And so I was chagrined, mortified. I was saddened that he had some reasonable discussion that he was talking about and people were laughing and uh, as these people were here speaking I was facing the speaker the speaker was facing me he was up on the soapbox and all the people had their backs toward me facing the speaker and as we were listening uh, the blood inside of me was getting boiled by the Holy Spirit I began to get uncomfortable. And as he began to make his comments comparing this, the Christianity to Islam, and he was making derogatory comments about Christianity, finally something up inside of me welled up, the Spirit of God welled up, and I, out of this mouth, across this crowd of 50 people, about 75 feet away, I shouted out across the crowd, yes, me, as a person who started preaching on a train station platform in New Brunswick, New Jersey, with no microphone, no amplifier, I came from a very loud family, yes. (laughs) Out of my mouth, I said, yes, but the difference between you and me is that if I sin, I have somebody who died on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins, and you don't. And with that, this crowd of 50 turned around (laughs) and looked at me. 
And this was the opening salvo in what ended up being a 40, 45 minute public open debate between me and this radicalized Muslim as we debated back and forth the claims of Christ, the claims of the Bible. And as we traded our jabs back and forth, the crowd grew in number from 50 to 100 to 150 to 200 until there were over 200, 250 people there. And we were debating back and forth and back and forth. And I would say this over the podcast right now, that I will debate anybody on any issue related to the Bible, the identity of Jesus Christ. I welcome the opportunity to debate in a healthy forum the claims of Jesus, the claims of the scripture there. I've thrown down the gauntlet in a friendly but a serious way. Yes, I will debate anybody on any of those topics at any time in a formal debate format, and I would welcome it. So I look forward to getting the emails. <laughs> you can email us, info at godfactor.com. You can go to graceyork.com and you can find me that way as well. A friendly, serious debate about the identity, the claims of Jesus Christ. Absolutely welcome. As we were having this debate back and forth, it became clear that he was becoming increasingly agitated because I was sticking to the Bible, the Word of God. Then I got out a particular passage of scripture, which we're going to look at now, Deuteronomy chapter 18. And I began to read from it, and he said, oh, you're changing that. That's not what it actually says. I said, no, because my friend Suzanne had a Bible. I had her dig it out from her purse. All ladies should have a Bible in their purse, I think. All men should have a Bible in their back pocket. I didn't. I was completely unprepared, but I was full of the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit, brought into a wilderness, so to speak, brought into uncomfortable territory. I was doing something I otherwise would not do. I was saying something I would otherwise not say. I was involved in a debate I had not planned in my sight sightseeing tour that day. And the same will be true in your life. If you are led by the Spirit of God, filled by the Spirit of God, there will be changes in your agenda. I was reading Deuteronomy chapter 18, and he said the, that it was changed, that I was changing the words, so we took this Bible and passed it through the crowd, up into his hands, and he began to read, this Muslim began to read this passage from Deuteronomy chapter 18, out loud, until he got to the end. And he realized I hadn't changed the thing. And he took the Bible and shoved it behind his backside and changed the subject. And I said out loud to everyone, I said, listen, let it be clear to everyone that this man who's so hostile to Jesus Christ and so hostile to the Bible is changing the topic. And at the end of the debate, when I walked forward and asked for the Bible back, the man looked down at me, would not shake my hand as I extended mine to him. And he said, somebody kill that man. So I got my friend Suzanne's Bible back, turned around, and looking wisely to the left and to the right, as the crowd that was laughing earlier was completely silent, made my way through the crowd onto some wonderful sightseeing. When you're filled with the Spirit of God, you will be led by the Spirit of God into uncharted territory to do what? To destroy the works of the devil. That's how you know whether or not you are full of the Holy Spirit. If you don't care about the works of the devil, it might be an indication that you're no longer full of the Holy Spirit because you're not being led by the Holy Spirit. Luke is addressing this issue of Jesus being led by the Spirit because it correlates to the identity of Jesus Christ. Who is this man? 
Who is Jesus? Deuteronomy 18 has the answer. Verse 9. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. Abominable practices. Remember that phrase. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering. That's what the other nations were doing to their false gods. Anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is a what? Abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. Listen, if we believe that these are abominations, there are other practices elsewhere in Scripture that are also said to be abominations. Why would we want to be selective and pick and choose as to which parts of the Bible are still relevant and pertinent to us today? If you believe that these practices that are already listed here are an abomination, when you come to another part of Scripture that also says something, practice is an abomination. It is also an abomination. We cannot pick and choose as if it's a smorgasbord, which parts of the word of God we're going to follow and which parts we're going to deny. Verse 13, you shall be blameless before the Lord your God. That's the principle. For these nations which you are about to dispossess, listen to fortune tellers and to diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. And so the question is, then how are we going to hear from God? How are we going to hear from God? Well, first of all, fortune tellers and diviners are not sent from God in the first place. They got us distracted. Many people have followed fortune telling and fortune tellers and diviners and had their palms read and had cards read on their behalf or gotten too heavily at the horoscopes or the Ouija board, all types of occult practices and got spanked royally because of it because God's not speaking through those false revealers of mysteries. Here's the answer. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. Verse 18, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. So here in Luke chapter 4, Jesus is being presented as the new prophet, the one who the Jewish people were waiting for. God had promised hundreds of years earlier that he would raise up a prophet like Moses from among the people. God would raise up a prophet from among the people, that that's how they would know that that person was sent from God. Now, you're saying, I don't necessarily see the dots being connected. You will now when we go to Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34, because the question for the Jewish people was, how will we know the Messiah when he comes? How will we know that God has truly broken his silence after 400 years since the book of Malachi? Here in Exodus chapter 34, beginning in verse 26, the best of the first, first fruits of the ground, of your ground, you shall bring to the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Again, a pagan practice. The cultures around, the society around, it was considered a 
delicacy. Take a young goat, boil it in its mother's milk, and it was some of the practices that the, the people around the Israelites were doing, and God was saying, don't participate in their practices. Don't be like the rest of the world. And the Lord said to Moses, write these words, for in accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. How long was Moses there? 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. I will send you a prophet like Moses. He will be from your own brothers. And what is Jesus doing in Luke chapter 4, verse 2? For 40 days, being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. Luke is presenting Jesus as that prophet. This is that. He wants us to understand that this is the one whom God the Father has sent, that we are to listen to him. Every part of your life is to bow down to Jesus. Every part of our lives is to be surrendered to Jesus. Jesus is the prophet, capital P. He's more than a prophet. He is the priest. He is the Savior. He is God in the flesh. This is the whole thing that's being presented here. It's important for us to understand how to battle temptation, but the only way that we can understand rightly how to battle temptation, how to succeed in temptation when it comes our way is to first understand how Jesus destroyed the works of the destroyer, how Jesus was and is the one whom God the Father sent to give us victory because he himself was victorious. In Acts, for example, look with me in the book of Acts. Chapter 3, verse 19 says this. Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Repent. This is Peter preaching to, remember the, the man who was the, the crippled beggar and they healed him. If you know anything about scripture, they healed the crippled beggar. And people were rejoicing and celebrating and say, what is this? And Peter says, I'll tell you what this means. Repent therefore and turn again that your sins may be blotted out. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ, the Messiah, appointed for you. Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Look at this. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. This is that. Jesus is the one prophesied by Moses. Jesus is the one promised by God. This is why the Spirit is full on Jesus. The Spirit is filling Jesus up. This is why Jesus is deliberately led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to take on the devil head on because we need to have a Savior, a Deliverer who is superior to our enemy, our adversary in every single way. We need someone who knew how to, and not only knew how to in a cognitive sense, but was able to do it successfully, literally, actually, overcome, destroy the destroyer. And his name is Jesus. You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters Podcast. 
where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. To learn more, visit CourageMatters.com or download the free Courage Matters app. Interested in requesting Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event? Click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking. Mm -hmm.